Hi, I'm April. And I'm Sam. And welcome to Current Climate. Join us each week as we learn more about what we can do to help the natural world with small changes and big actions. Hey everyone, welcome back to Current Climate. It's episode three. Let's get things started, kick it off. Sam, where do we want to go? We want to talk about our challenge from this past week. So our challenge was to go... Oh (laughs) boy, here we go. (laughs) Our challenge was to go grocery shopping without purchasing anything with plastic. Um, I failed technically, but I didn't do a terrible job. How about you, April? Um, Well, I cheated. So in that sense, I was very successful. luckily so where the cheating came in luckily it is not a grocery shopping week for me we did it you know a week ago or whatever we buy stuff we try to do for two weeks so I really didn't need that much um so it went a couple of days ago and I I allowed myself two hours in the store to try and do this and everything I want is in plastic which is very frustrating ice cream uh plastic cereal plastic you know what i mean mm-hmm. but you know like i wanted to commit to the challenge i really wanted to try it um so i ended up with like a head of broccoli okay mm, okay typically i buy frozen steamable broccoli but i just you know right. it's still in my fridge untouched we'll see if i learn how to cook broccoli and then, and then I, I did what you said. I tried the, like, you know, going to the, going to Sam the Butcher and buying parchment paper meat. Um, yeah, but I only bought like one, one thing. Like I, I bought fish and then I was like, I'm over this. Well, that's pretty good. Uh, well, so today I just wanted orange, like oranges. I just wanted one. I'm working from home. I got all the time in the world to go get oranges and I get there and I'm like, wait, I have to put them in a plastic bag or I have to put them in the COVID shopping cart. <laughs> so really, so I just loaded my arms with oranges. I wish I could juggle because um, it would have been really cool. But I'm like struggling to carry just like five oranges to, <laughs> to the checkout. And then I like, I realized I have to put them down on the checkout anyway. So I should have just gotten a cart. <laughs> and then I sh- I shoved them in my bag, my mm-hmm. purse to bring them to the car. Can't do that before because you look like you're stealing, but it's a <laughs> yeah. fine way to get five oranges to your car. Yeah, definitely. And I know that people sell and make produce bags, so they're like very similar and light, like the plastic produce bags that stores have. Um, so that way, if you're weighing it, it's not like you're adding a lot of weight. You know, if but what are those made out of? Um, cloth, like cotton. Oh. They're like mesh usually. And so oh, okay. So it's really lightweight, but that way you can like put it in something. So it is an option. I personally have never done it because I I just put it in the cart. <laughs> I haven't done that for years. I just get a head of broccoli, put it in the cart, potatoes cart, apples cart, like I just loose. It at home. Just, yeah, just loose. Yeah, but they're loose. They're rolling all over the place. You got your apples mixing with your avocados. Not really. Then, 
I mean, I'm not, I'm not driving like a mad woman through the aisles with my car that they, you know, <laughs> I'm being cautious, but you don't do them apples and oranges just flying right? around. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I've never truly understood that, but I don't know. I, I was raised by a germaphobe, but I like to think I'm not a germaphobe. And I think this is one way where I'm like, eh, I'm going to wash it at home. Like I need to wash it anyway. Oh, wow. Well, that was one of the reasons that I like chose oranges specifically, I was craving oranges, but I didn't get any fruit at the store last time. Um, but like oranges and bananas, because you peel them, I'm like a little bit more comfortable not putting them in a separate bag away from the rest of the groceries I guess because mm -hmm. I'm gonna you know you wash your apples but you still eat the skin this like you wash your oranges and then you peel them in right in these trying times yeah exactly um yeah but I I had some observations specifically about price because that was my biggest concern mm -hmm. so I went to Whole Foods and I got chicken thighs from the counter, which first of all, that's scary having to ask for this stuff. I've never gone to a deli and asked for something sliced. Like that's how right. I don't want to interact with any humans if I can avoid it. Then I go to self-checkout too, if I can, you know? Yes, so, 100%. <laughs> so that was like nerve wracking. And I was trying to ask him like, Hey, is it going to be wrapped in parchment paper, paper to double check? Cause like, if not, I'm getting out of there and I'm getting cheaper meat, you know? <laughs> um, and he misunderstood me and then I misunderstood him and it was like a whole back and forth, but then it all worked out. I got my thighs, chicken thighs, weird to say without the chicken there, <laughs> um, and wrapped up in parchment paper. So obviously I'm throwing that away, but it's not plastic. It'll break down. Um, you know, and then I, I actually called April up because I thought Whole Foods would be bougie enough to have milk and glass bottles, but they didn't. So I was like, I'm going to have to resort to a milk carton to avoid plastic. But then I was like, I'm not sure if that can be recycled. So I called up April. I mean, you explained it to me so well. Do you want to tell our listeners about milk cartons? Because I had no idea. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm going to first start with saying that glass is one of the least recyclable materials right now. Right so, now? Or like, yes. That is not what I've heard. This is wild. No. Okay. You do not, so, you know, as someone from the industry, glass goes through the recycling system, it gets broken up on the machines, it kind of, it erodes the machines, um, and then because it's crushed at the end, it, like, doesn't really have, you know, a lot of value to it, so that, like, it, it kind of sucks. The best way to do it, um, and this is not representative of the industry that I'm in, but, you know, anything glass that you can return for five cents is pretty, like, it's pretty good. Because um, otherwise, it's just heavy. It's tough on the machines. We can't sell it. Gotcha. Okay. So, like, actually returning them to the store that they came from or the manufacturer. I know there's some like, yeah. local places around here where you can bring glass bottles back for yeah. the, the return. Um, okay. And so it's difficult and it's annoying. So, you're lucky you found cartoned milk. Okay. So yes, yes. Tell us about cartons. <laughs> so cartons are a funny thing because if you have 
a very little amount of curtains going through the system, they're recyclable. If you have a ton of curtains going through the system, they're recyclable. If you have like just kind of a lot, <laughs> it's not going to be <laughs> easy to recycle. Um, so the carton, what makes it tricky is that it's cardboard coated in like a waxy finish. Um, it's called an aseptic carton. And like typically, you know, you get, you take them from schools and you can take a whole pallet of them at once, you know, the chocolate milk, the white milk that you have somehow every day at lunch. Mm -hmm. um, and because it's so many, they can be compressed into a pallet and sold to someone who's going to specifically use that material um, and probably create more aseptic milk cartons from it. Gotcha. But now, because like there are so few milk cartons, if you put them in your regular curbside recycling, they go through the recycling process and they get sold as like mixed cardboard. Um, and it'll be separated by the paper people or we'll just go through the paper making process and create a maybe a lower grade of paper. But anyway, curtains are recyclable. We'd rather see that than glass. And that's just my two cents on that. Honestly, I had no idea. I thought, well, I guess I never thought about it compared to paper. I thought about glass compared to plastic because I know that plastic can only be recycled a certain number of times before it's too low grade. Is that correct? Right. Um, and so glass, like, yes, it's like infinitely recyclable. That's kind of what you're getting at, right? Okay. It's, yeah, it can constantly be heated and remade into something. Um, but there's not really a demand for recycled glass to be made into bottles because it's harder to get a quality bottle. And there's plenty of virgin glass mm -hmm. around to make you brand new bottles. So most people aren't using recycled material or recycled glass. And then the broken glass just ends up being landfill cover, truck cover, rail car cover to weigh down other materials. And that's how it's recycled. Gotcha. But they're like working on turning it into paving materials and, you know, cement aggregate and whatever else. I really love talking about trash. <laughs> if so anybody glad. has any recycling questions, any at all, tweet us email us or leave a rate and review with your trash question i want to answer it <laughs> you're such a <laughs> valuable resource honestly so i did get a carton of milk and um i feel silly because i could have gotten it at aldi and it would have been cheaper and now they have the little plastic caps it used to be ripped it open and then there was no plastic, mm -hmm. but, um, for convenience and probably sanitary reasons, they're now selling them with plastic. So I do have to rip that out before I put it in the recycling. Um, so it's not mixed material. Right. Right. And so then what do you do with that plastic bit? I'm going to have to throw it in the trash cause it's too small. Yes. Yes. Sam. Yes. Yay. A plus recycling. Loose bottle caps go in the garbage. Small bits of plastic have to go in the garbage. <laughs> so that was, that was my experience with the milk. I was looking for coffee because I make cold brew at home. So I need whole bean coffee. And um, it was all multi-layer bags that are not recyclable. And then even I saw some that looked like paper from far away and I got excited and then I touched it and I was like, this is plastic. <laughs> I was like, why did you make it look like paper? Like, why are you taunting me? Um, so 
so it's so hard because they need to keep it fresh right like yeah that's why it's in those or like the foil bags or whatever Mm -hmm. I think if I went to like like a local coffee roaster I probably could get it in a paper bag because it's fresh they're not worried about selling it to you weeks and weeks and weeks later um Mm -hmm. that's probably a solution which just shows that the the extra time and effort that you know living a low waste lifestyle especially if you're avoiding plastic um how that's going to be and then I did get ice cream which the container is multi-layer so it's not recyclable but it's like paper based it's well it's like paper let me talk about ice cream containers for a second (laughs) (laughs) so I get this question I do a lot of like speaking events where I tell people what you know to put in your garbage what to put in your recycling and for a while senior citizens were just obsessed with this question why is a milk carton recyclable and an ice cream carton not so unfortunately Sam you just triggered me a little bit because <laughs> it's, it's the same material it's cardboard um, what makes it different is it's coated in a spray that makes it resistant to freezing uh, Other cardboard oh. boxes, like where your Eggo waffles come in, aren't coated in that because they have the plastic film on the inside. Yeah. So those boxes are recyclable. But ice cream cartons, because they're sprayed with that stuff that can make them last in the freezer, can't be recycled. Gotcha. And you know what? This is a shout out for Aldi. Despite wrapping basically everything in plastic, they are so good <laughs> about labeling what is recyclable and what's not so if you pick up like a box of mac and cheese and you look on the back nice and big it says cardboard box recyclable and then it says multi-layer packet not recyclable i mean Uh, that's awesome yeah it and so it's very easy to then go and realize oh this isn't recyclable because i'm looking at this ice cream like hey it's cardboard maybe and then it says no it's coated with whatever not recyclable. So that's, that's great. At least they're doing that to make it a lot easier for the consumers to do the right thing with the trash, like putting it in trash or recycling. Um, but I did choose the cardboard one instead of the one that was like actually had like a huge plastic lid on it as far as ice cream. Cause I was like, you know, it's not plastic. It's not recyclable, but it's not plastic. And our challenge was specifically no plastic. So I technically yes. did it. <laughs> you did great. You did better than I did. So. Thank you. The last thing I want to share about my experience was the price difference. So for lunch today, I made um, chicken thighs, uh, garlic, brown sugar, chicken thighs. Delicious. And then I made mashed potatoes and uh, broccoli. And so my main components I got with no plastic. However, I crunched the numbers. And if I had gotten these things as I normally would from Aldi with the packaging, the total cost of this meal with four servings would have been five sixty-eight. But what I actually paid by avoiding plastic was fourteen sixty-three. So it was eight dollars and ninety-five cents more. Yeah. I, I love do- that you're bringing data into this too, Sam. These yeah. are what the people need to know. <laughs> yeah, so that's just not realistic for me at this point in my life. I don't have spare cash to, you know, avoid plastic at the store. Yeah, I just want to acknowledge that I was not pleasantly surprised by the price differences. It was 
way more expensive. Not, I mean, like it all adds up. If you're doing your whole shopping trip with no plastic, it's going to add up. So it could be that you pick and choose some items. Like um, maybe you're buying things in plastic that can be recycled and then paying more for those things that come in plastic that can't be. But I think it's just unrealistic, at least for me at this point, to completely avoid plastic. Yeah, I agree. I mean, what's that? 300% more <laughs> for uh, a meal without plastic? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but, you know, that's why, like, these environmental changes, they take a real commitment, not just time and energy, but financial and, and research. And you've got to do it all to really, you know, commit to some of these challenges. But for now, I think picking and choosing, we got to pick the battles that that we can have some success in. Our next segment today is called Grab Bag. We're reaching into the bag of environmental information and pulling out our favorite tidbits. This week, I'm gonna share about Alexander von Humboldt. It's June, it's Pride Month, and I thought this would be really good timing to talk about my favorite scientist. Um, before I get you into- You have it, a favorite scientist? Who doesn't? Oh. <laughs> Right. Everybody does. <laughs> um, before I get into that, though, April, I want to ask you, do you know who Alexander von Humboldt is? I mean, yeah, but for the listeners, you should probably give an, give an introduction and maybe say his name one more time um, so they Fair. can remember it. And yeah, no, I know. I know all about. Um, <laughs> Wait, I genuinely believed you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no, Sam, I've never heard of this person before in my life. Okay, Ale then I'm very Alexander excited. Von Humboldt. Alexander Von Humboldt. I found out about this guy because I was going through this nonfiction book phase because I'm a nerd. There's no denying it. And I was at the library and I was at the time looking at a different section but then even the spine of this book caught my attention because of the images. So I pulled it out and it was called The Invention of Nature, Alexander von Humboldt's New World. And it had, it was like all black, but it had like a leopard and a bird and stuff. And I was like, oh, this looks cool. The Invention of Nature? Okay. And I grabbed it. I mean, the library is free. So I'm like, might as well take it home and see if I like it. And it was this really long biography about Humboldt. And I couldn't believe how much I kept reading it. Like, I don't normally read biographies. So that was strange. But Humboldt, my dude, my guy, he was <laughs> a Prussian uh, German, essentially, um, scientist. He lived from 1769 to 1859, nice. 90 years, which is pretty dang good for that time period. But basically, his mother died. And he used half the inheritance to plan his first big voyage, which he went to South America and North America. So he did this in 1799 to 1804. And this is the basis, this first trip was the basis of many books that he wrote that he worked on for like the next 20 years or something. And because of those books and because of his insights and discoveries, he became the most famous person in the world during his lifetime only second to like Napoleon Bonaparte. Am I saying so he's the right? Kardashian of his time. He really was like truly. Wow. And just to illustrate how many people cared about him, 
10 years after he died, so on his 100th birthday, his centennial, 80,000 people marched in Berlin, Germany, to celebrate him. And even in New York City, there was 25,000 people to celebrate. So he had some pull. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the reason I'm talking about him for Pride Month is because though he'd never said so during his lifetime, scholars generally agree that he was gay. And yeah, he was writing love letters to men. He was writing in his journal cute little tidbits about men. There were all these rumors. <laughs> People were noticing he never gave women any time. He definitely didn't want to get married, all this. So it literally didn't say in the biography, but the author, Andrea Wolf, um, she did an interview on a podcast where she talked about how, yeah, people think he was gay. Because obviously so many people weren't out about their sexuality um, up until fairly recently, it can be hard to identify heroes that seem like you that you can identify with. Um, so the more of this stuff that comes out, that influential people that gay people have always existed. Um, exactly. That different sexualities have always existed. There are past heroes that, that we can kind of look to. So Alexander von Humboldt was the OG climate scientist. He observed deforestation in South America, and he wrote about it um, based on the environmental impact, not the economic impact. A lot of people were concerned that without trees, they couldn't have ships and the you know, no Navy, the whole structure of the world would fall apart. Um, but Humble is like, no, I have observed here in South America that due to plantations cutting down trees and growing crops, this lake that's supposed to be much larger, according to my notes, is much smaller than it used to be. And he connected all the dots of how that was happening because of human interaction. So he was really the first to point out that humans were changing the environment. This was really radical because at the time, people believed that God gave humans the earth. And this, the earth was here for our taking. And Humboldt was observing that we were impacting it, and it wasn't going to be around forever if we didn't take care of it. He was also the first to put forward the idea of keystone species. He didn't call it that. A scientist later did. I love keystone species, to be honest. I, I don't know why. It's something I learned in like ninth grade, and I think it's so great. Like um, beavers. Beavers, I will never forget. I did a report. They are the keystone species of their environment because they build the dam, which creates pools of water, which allows other species to thrive. Amazing. Go beavers. Yeah, that's no great. keystone species. Yeah, and no one was thinking about how things were connected, interconnected like this. He came up with something called global vegetation zones. Once again, he didn't come up with that terminology, but he observed that different temperatures, um, different altitudes, different places, the same plants were growing or plants that were very similar to the counterparts in this similar location. And because of that observation, he was also the first person to put forward the idea that Africa and South America were probably ones touching because they have similar plants along the edges that also on the map look like they could fit together like a puzzle piece. 
And only in a hundred years later is when people really started thinking about shifting tectonic plates and if that was a possibility. So he was putting this forward just like, hey, I've noticed this. And then it was able to be, you know, expanded on by scientists later on. Wait, I think I do love this guy. Right? Pangea is also one of my other favorite things that we have a supercontinent and we call it Pangea. And you learn, you know, you, you got the little diagram, the little visual, all the continents moving back so they fit together. Yeah. Oh, Pangea is so cool. It's so it's cool. So cool. Uh, I'm so glad you're seeing what I'm seeing here. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm stoked. I had no idea who this guy was. Right. And um, another cool fun fact that he was very proud of during his life is that he climbed the highest mo- mountain known to man in 1802 and he held the record for the highest altitude climbed for 30 years so he's just wow and he had to carry all these all this equipment he had like 42 different instruments to measure like uh altitude uh, air pressure humidity temperature like all this stuff and he had to carry it up with him up these mountains and he had like 30 mules or something carrying all this stuff a lot of the time. Um, I guess I should clarify that they didn't go up every mountain with him, but they were carrying his collections because he was all the while collecting plants and animals from um, South America and North America to bring back to Europe because these would be new species to Europeans. Of course, the locals knew about them, but um, they hadn't been named or classified. So he brought hundreds of these new to Europe plants and animals back with him. And so that's why he needed so many mules to carry all of these specimens. Okay, so now lastly, I think what really makes Humble impressive is that he inspired so many other people. I already talked on a little bit how people expanded on his research later and later on. But here's some of the people he inspired. Charles Darwin. He was directly inspired by Humboldt's personal narrative about the trip I was just telling you about to take a similar voyage. So if he hadn't read that book, he would have never gotten into HMS Beagle. He would never have sailed around the world and learned everything he learned. And then he used Humboldt's observation of plant distribution around the world as a building block for his theory of evolution. Evolution changed our world completely, and we give so much credit to Darwin, which is obviously well-deserved, but I feel like we also need to acknowledge how important Humboldt was in inspiring Darwin and how his studies and his way of looking at the world is interconnected is the reason that Darwin could then take the next step and figure out evolution. Another person he inspired was Simone Bolivar. Um, He read Humboldt's books and saw how beautiful the natural world of South America was through his eyes and saw how the colonizers were exploiting it. And that was one of his more poetic basis for leading a revolution. John Muir, who is the man who helped set up the national park system, he read Humboldt's books and he wanted to preserve natural land. He actually walked from Florida to California seeking a similar journey of discovery to Humboldt's journey through the Amazon. Um, Henry David Thoreau was reading Humboldt's book, Cosmos, and it gave him inspiration to connect poetry and science in his book, Walden. And then lastly, my last example, although there's plenty of other people who were inspired by Humboldt, was Walt Whitman, 
who used Cosmos as inspiration for his poem, Leaves of Grass. Yeah, and I think you can add two more people to the list of people he's inspired. <laughs> Me and you, Sam. Aww. Well done. So next up, we're going to go into Baitgate. I'm going to read Sam a very clickbaity title, and she's going to tell me her first impressions of it, uh, and then we're going to find out what it's really about. So, the title today from the Omaha World Herald. The untold environmental pros of cow poop. Livestock and soil conservation go hand in hand. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm all about manure. My first instinct is to think about composting and also like if you go to buy compost at the store, it's right next to the cow manure. Like, yeah, people want poop in their gardens. I feel like that goes without saying. Are they saying that poop is soil <laughs> and we just need more cows in order to have soil? Because that doesn't add up for me. If that, I don't think that's what they're saying. But that's kind of my interpretation. Um, I think that if I'm not mistaken, I believe that like raising livestock is actually really bad for the soil. It creates erosion because of their waste. So yeah, I don't know. I'm very curious to see what this article says. So okay, so that's why I chose this one. Um, so I'll, I'll be upfront. I think it is. I think it's written by a lobbyist, um, a beef lobbyist, or something okay. like that. I have which, a lot of new feelings now. <laughs> right. So, like, I feel, you know, I didn't know anything about trash lobbyists before I was in the biz, um, and now I know that like all industries have these people pushing their agendas like all the time. So there must be some beef lobbyists out there. Um, and so like it starts off saying, and you kind of mentioned to it, livestock has kind of a bad rap for being mm -hmm. environmentally unfriendly. And I think what we're not going to see in this article is like the true science behind that. Like cows produce gas, they eat a lot of food, um, they need a lot of land for cattle. They're not great, you know, mm -hmm. in, in my mind. So this article is seeking to uh, counter those opinions. Um, it says that, you know, some consumers have cited these reasons uh, as their reasons for eliminating meat from their diets, which I think we see a lot. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, you know, become vegans, not just for environment or animal cruelty reasons, but for environmental benefits as well. But Dr. Amy Schmidt, uh, who is a livestock bioenvironmental bio engineer, uh, says otherwise. Um, just a little side note about Amy Schmidt, something she says herself in this article is that her kids call her a poopologist. Um, or, alternatively, a turd nerd. Oh my like, god! Amy, Amy, Amy. <laughs> Girl, you didn't have to do that to yourself. You did that. <laughs> you did that to you. I wasn't going to call her a turd nerd until I saw those words written on paper. 
And then I thought that is that is her. <laughs> Dr. Amy Schmidt, professional turd nerd. I love it. Um, so her specialty is like livestock and the environmental impact of livestock um, at the University of Nebraska. Um, and like specifically, she studies manure management. Can you imagine? Mm. We all get into whatever industries we fall into, you know? Um, but so she's saying that actually agricultural efficiencies have increased over the past decades and um, to produce the same amount of meat and milk, um, you need less water, less energy, less time. Um, so it's, a, it's less impactful than previously thought to have all these cows. Um, and then so she specifically gets into manure uh, saying that it's nitrogen and phosphorus, which is really good for soil, and it breaks down slower than synthetic fertilizer. Okay. So it actually is like more nutritious for a longer period of time um, than some of the chemical fertilizers that people use. She basically says that manure is like carbon sequestering. So putting it on the ground is like, I don't know, preventing that carbon from being released in the air or like making it slower and more beneficial, um, what? which I guess is cool. Uh, and it leads to healthier and hardier crops. Um, and yeah, so I'm reading this whole thing and I'm like, was this written by a cow? Cause it's very <laughs> pro cow. <laughs> this is the most pro cow thing I've read in a long time. Most things you read are like, yeah, cows are terrible for the environment. And this is just like, no, they're magical for the environment. Their poop, you know, grows the food to feed the cows. It's amazing. The article ends with protecting the uh, cyclical relationship between livestock, crops, soil, and the atmosphere is a big job, but it's the key to sustaining agriculture and feeding the world's population. That's why farmers will continue to do it for generations to come. This was written by a bovine. There is no way. <laughs> there is no way a cow is not writing this to protect his job. You know? I know, but here's the thing. Some job sending you right. and your children to slaughter for generations to come? Generations to come. But at least you exist. I don't know. Um, but then reading it, it's, I mean, pretty straightforward. It's saying that uh, cow manure can lead to a healthier vegetable. It breaks down slower. It feeds the plants more. And that stuff makes some sense. Mm -hmm. But I did some digging to try to connect this to your guy. Okay. Um, Interesting. And, yeah. And here's why I think the cow wrote this article. Um, so in uh, 2017, we, the United States, stopped accepting beef from Brazil. Okay. Brazil is one of the largest exporters of beef. Mm -hmm. And the United States stopped taking it because of safety standards. Um, February 2020, we have decided to restart taking beef from Brazil, which has increased de deforestation in the Amazon because now you need more land. You're doing more cows. They need more area to graze. Once again, showing that cows are harmful for the planet. Um, but 
Yeah. So I think this is not only pro cow. I think this is pro American cow. These cows don't want to lose their jobs. These Brazilian <laughs> cows. Um, and it definitely, it definitely seems like something that a beef lobbyist would put forward um, to kind of sway the American public's view on, you know, what I think is generally a negative opinion of how cows are raised in yeah. the United States to something positive. So we buy beef and we buy American beef, not Brazilian. Yeah. And I think that just shows how much environmentalists have swayed public opinion. Like to come across an article that's showing these kind of minimal benefits. Like, yes, I I agree. I think people do want cow manure in their gardens and their vegetable gardens. Um, I think that probably does have a lot of benefits. But is that the reason to continue with the industry the way that we currently are? Because you could have one cow pooping and that could help <laughs> a lot of different gardens. But to have hundreds of thousands of cows pooping, now you've got a landslide problem. And literally, like I know that cows are wading around knee deep in their own waste in our agricultural world here in America. So yeah, that's too much, <laughs> I yeah. would argue. And so it's, I feel like this article is trying to choose the easiest argument to say that it's good when it probably could have tried harder. It could, you could probably find somewhere in between that would be great for both sides. And because she didn't do that, I think that's why your instinct is probably correct. Because if someone was really looking into this, they'd say, hey, there are benefits to cow manure. We don't necessarily need to stop eating beef, but how can the current way we do things change to make this really work? I think that's a great point. I think this is literally like, let's take one of the only, if not the only, positive benefit from raising cattle. Let's shine a big light on it. Let's roll out a, you know, a release for it. Again, this was, you know, Omaha, Nebraska that published this probably gets some really good public, you know, feedback from an article that's pro cow, mm -hmm. um, which I want to start calling big cow. There's definitely something like, like that big beef, big, 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 bovine. big ag, big ag. No, that's what it is. Big agriculture, but I think, big ag. Yeah. But I think I'm going to call it big cow. Um, <laughs> You know, they took the only positive thing they could find to try and justify raising livestock. And you're right, you don't need you don't need that many cows in those conditions to uh, make your manure. Right. Cows poop every day. Like you don't you don't need too many. <laughs> you don't need too many. And uh, I you know I don't need a turd nerd to tell me how many cows I need. To close off this week's episode, we're going to talk about our new challenge for the week. Lay it on me, Sam. <laughs> what do we got? The challenge is to hang dry our clothes instead of using the dryer. So you're telling me I just won't do laundry this week? I mean, that's one approach. <laughs> no, I will definitely, I will definitely do one load of laundry. At least. I mean, I'm just one person. I don't have that many, you know, right. clothes. Uh, I will do one load of laundry and I will hang it. Sounds good. I will do the same. 
What's and your plan? Any ideas for how you're going to yeah. it so I can steal it? Well, I do have, we have an outdoor porch with a little roof. We're on the second floor of a building. So, you know, it kind of sticks out, has a roof. There's nails out there, which I think string lights used to be on. And I think I can like zigzag some string and hang stuff like that. And then I do also have a little fold out drying rack that I can oh, use yep. to expand the capabilities of my little porch setup. So that's my game plan. I hope that goes well and there's no gravity issues. Um, yeah, what are you can, thinking? Can you hang dry clothes inside? Yeah. Okay. Well, then I'm probably going to put my ladder out inside and just hang stuff on there. Because <laughs> I'm looking at my ladder right now and I'm like, that's close to a drying rack. Yeah. See, how easy is it to be environmentally friendly? You just look around your home, use what you already have. Yeah. You just break out the ladder and hang all your nice clothes over it. Part of the reason I want to try this out is because I do go through jeans pretty quickly. They get worn through and people have suggested to me and I have known myself, but I'm too lazy to do it, that hang drying um, will help with longevity of jeans and clothes oh, in general. Okay. Because every time you clean the, clean the lint out of your dryer, that's pieces of your clothes. That's like some of your clothes are being thrown into the trash. Oh, just, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. So, of course, the fashion industry is very wasteful. So if you can avoid purchasing new clothes for longer and make all your clothes last, you are going to have a better impact on the environment. And then also the dryer is one of the, how do I say this? The most not energy efficient things in your home. It's like the refrigerator and the dryer. And the refrigerator, you know, not optional, but the dryer is optional. And I always choose that option. So I do want to <laughs> see. <laughs> if the option's there, I'm taking it. <laughs> yeah, I love how easy it is to just throw it in, walk away, and then like 45 minutes later, I'm like, oh, cool. I'll yeah, and it's so now. nice. Only 45 minutes. Right. Like, don't wash anything you want to wear that night. Exactly. Is this what adulthood is? Like, planning out your life so that you're not in one of those situations where it's like, I need this clothing item immediately, and it's filthy, you know? I'm definitely not at that stage yet, so. I'm not either, you know, <laughs> full disclosure, but maybe, maybe that is a sign of adulthood. <laughs> We're getting there. We're trying. Yeah. No, so I think this is a good challenge. Save a little on energy and, you know, I don't know if jeans don't feel weird, clothes don't feel weird. It's a good way to help them last longer. So right. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, definitely. You can save money in two ways. You don't have to buy new clothes and you don't have to pay as much on your electric bill. Now, shopping without plastic, I definitely can't do right now. But drying my clothes outside or on a line or whatever, at least during warm months, if that's easy enough, I can keep doing that. But we'll see if it's easy enough. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Well, you know, we'll see next week uh, how you're 
<laughs> your string on nails works out for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, if you are interested in trying this challenge with us, definitely let us know. We have a Twitter, currentclimate underscore, and you can email us currentclimatepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love your feedback on the show and to see what you're up to to help the environment. If you like what you're hearing so far, we would love if you could give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Just look up Current Climate. Give us five stars. No, give us stars that you think we deserve. Yeah, be realistic. <laughs> you know, we can, we can take it. We can take We're it. We're environmentalists. We've taken some L's in our lives. <laughs> well said and we genuinely do especially with the young baby that this podcast is we genuinely do want to know you know criticism constructive feedback so that we can get better so we would love to hear from you love to hear what you think and yeah and if you have any recycling trash questions i am so available (laughs) i'm unbelievably available great so April's a resource for all of us. <laughs> Great. <laughs> all right, guys. Also, well, tune in next week. We'll figure out how this week's challenge went. We'll see if the ladder can hold up. Uh, and we'll check in with Sam on all her successes. Oh, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.